Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the house. And uh, we love you and we're so thankful for you. And uh, a couple of months ago, as we were putting together this service, uh, we asked some of the ladies on our creative team, we said, what would you like on Mother's Day? I mean, would you like a carnation? You want a bookmark? You want a, you know, you want a, I don't know, a book? What, what, what do you want on Mother's Day? And really what they said to us was this. We really don't want all that other stuff. You know, we, we're getting gifts anyway. Uh, we don't really need that. What we really want is for you to do something that helps us with our family. And so that's what we're doing. I hope we're going to deliver on that today. We're going to kick off a new series starting today all the way from Mother's Day to Father's Day. We're going to talk about the family. We're calling it Family Trip. And we're going to talk about God's vision, God's plan uh, for your family. Nothing really says summer like a family trip, right? And when you get to load up the car and you go on vacation, maybe you're planning a family trip. Uh, coming up, you know, when I was a kid, we took family trips as our girls were little. We took a little family trip. In fact, this is a throwback Sunday. Here's a picture of one of our little family trips way back in the day. I got a little Mickey Mouse. Thing. I think Abby's a little tired of Mickey Mouse at this point. But uh, yeah, that's a family trip that we were on. Now, listen, you've got your family trips planned. Here, here's how the typical family trip goes. You start off and uh, it's the planning stage. You're excited, we're gonna go here, we're gonna do that. You put the picture on the refrigerator, we're going, we're gonna do this. Then it finally comes to the day that you load up the car and you're on the road and there's a lot of excitement. And back in, back in my day, we didn't watch videos, we just counted cows, all right? We got, kids, you got it good, you know, we had to count cows. Anyway, and then, uh, then you finally arrive and you're doing your thing. It's very busy, a lot of excitement. Then somebody's going to hit somebody. So there's going to be some conflict. Somebody's going to get a fight, argument. You're going to deal with all that. Hopefully at the end of the trip, you got some great pictures and you remember the great time that you had. And we got to thinking about that. That's really how family develops. You start off uh, with maybe this dream, this picture of what your family's gonna be like, and then you, you get on the road and you start having children and things are exciting and then conflict happens, then problems happen, then life happens. It takes a tour that you didn't wanna take or you hit a dead end you didn't think you were gonna hit. Problems happen, crisis happens, but hopefully at the end of your days you can look back and you can see how God worked all the way through those things to get you to the place that he wanted you to be. So that's what we're gonna talk about. No matter where you are in that stage, maybe at the beginning point of your family, maybe in the middle, busy stage, maybe you're in crisis stage, maybe you're at the end stage. Whatever the stage you are, I believe God got something to say to you about the family in this series. So everybody get your Bible out. If you didn't bring one, there's one by your seat. Everybody get your Bible out. Let's go to God's word. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to land uh, today. We're gonna be looking at the family trip through the lens of Abraham's family. Abraham's family. Now Abraham, uh, really the story of Abraham begins with a family trip where God revealed himself to Abraham and told him to pick up his family and to go to a land that he didn't know. And uh, in the beginning, Abraham really did not know the Lord. In fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 11, at the end of the chapter, you kind of pick up a little bit of, of Abraham's family tree. In fact, just kind of give you a little uh, background here. I've, I've got a little graphic for you. This is really Abraham's uh, family tree. Terah was his father. And then this Abram, whose name later has changed to Abraham. 
Uh, he also had a, son, uh, a brother, Nahor, and a son named Haran. And uh, so those were the three sons of Terah. Now, if you're just kind of looking at that, uh, later on in the story, you realize that Haran uh, died. Uh, he married, had a, had a son named Lot, but then he was tragically killed. We're not really sure what happened in that situation, but he died. <clears throat> Nahor had a wife and children, and Abram or Abraham also had a wife and uh, children too. And so while Terah and his sons lived in Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq, it was really the, the cradle of civilization. It was in that Mesopotamian uh, fertile crescent, uh, that, that birthplace of civilization. They lived in a very thriving, burgeoning, uh, sophisticated society. And it was there in that place that God spoke to Abraham. And he gave him this vision of a new land and a new place and, and a new um, dream that God had for him. And so Terah took his family, Abraham and Lot, Haran's uh, son, and then left Nahor behind in the Ur of Chaldees, and they moved, migrated west. And they went from modern-day Iraq over to modern-day Syria. They stopped at a place called uh, Haran. And it was there in Haran that they stopped for a season. Terah passed away in that place. So now it's just left Abraham and Lot and Abraham's wife, Sarah. So that, they're now in this place called Iran, which is probably modern-day Syria, and they're, they're sitting there waiting for the next steps. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. All right, so let's look at it. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So here they are, they're in, they're in Haran. They're, they're, they're hearing again God's vision for him. And God says, listen, Abram, I've got, I've got these great plans for you. And these plans are bigger than what you have for yourself. You know, Abram probably, if he had it his way, he would just kind of retire and uh, play some golf and go on a few trips and enjoy his family, and that would be that. Uh, he had a lot of possessions, he had a lot of stuff, and he could just settle in and just kind of live a normal life. That's probably what his plans were. But God said, I've got bigger plans for you. I've got a greater vision for your life than even what you have for yourself. He said, here's the deal. If you will seek to know me and seek to follow me, I will make some promises to you. I will bless you. I will lead you. I will protect you. I, I will use you to be a blessing to the nations. See, Abram, you, you're just thinking of so small. You're just thinking about your little area. I want to use you to bless the nations. I've got this bigger vision for your life. You know, uh, I really believe that God has got a bigger vision for your family than what you have for your family. In fact, if you're taking notes, you got something to write on. I want you to write uh, these two words down, all right? Here it is. Uh, dream bigger. Dream bigger. You know, so many times we think that we're just trying to get through uh, the week when God's got these bigger vision, this bigger plan for your family. 
God's vision is bigger than baseball, right? It's bigger than ballet. It, it's bigger than getting through high school. It's bigger than what college you'll attend. It's bigger than what career that you'll have. It's bigger than all those things that we think are our vision, our dream for our families. Listen, God's dream is bigger than that. God's vision for your family, here it is, is that you would have an eternal impact that your one family could literally bless the nations. That's God's plan for your family. That God wants to use your family to bless the nations. And I know when you hear that, Craig, you, you're saying bless the nation. We're just trying to get, we're just trying to graduate from high school, all right? If we could get that done, we'd be happy, all right? Or if we could just, just get into the next phase or get out of this current problem or this current crisis, then we would be okay. But listen, so many times we go through life and we're so fixated on the next thing, right? If I could just get through here, if we could just get out of this, if we could just move here, and we're so busy with all these other things that we fail to lift our head up to see the bigger vision that God has. God wants to use your family to be a blessing to the nations, to be a blessing to the nations. Now, you may step back from there and say, well, Craig, I don't think that that's really going to happen. Why not? Well, because, you know, I didn't really grow up in a Christian home. And I mean, you know, this is all kind of new for me. Well, all right, Abraham didn't grow up in a Christian home either. His father, Terah, was a pagan guy that lived in pagan land. He didn't have a lot of spiritual legacy to draw from. And yet God called him out of that to walk with God and to start something new. And listen, for you, you may be the first believer in your family. You may be the first one to say yes to Jesus in your family. And your family still doesn't quite get how religious you've become. But, but you are the first one to really love Jesus and know him and walk with him and follow him. And God's going to use you to break the chains of addiction and, and break the chains of abuse and break the chains of hardship and things that have been dysfunctional in your family. God's going to use you to be a chain breaker. I have a good friend of mine, and he said, Craig, when I traced back my family line, I had to go back 10 generations before I could find one man in my family who was faithful to his wife. 10 generations. He said, but I'm determined to be a chain breaker, to break that dysfunction, to be faithful to my wife, and to give that to my sons and my daughters. Listen, that may be you. God can use you no matter what your spiritual background You may say, well, I don't really think that this is going to happen because, you know, I just, my own kids don't really walk with God. How could my family be used to bless the nations when I can't give my own children to know Christ? But listen, even Abraham dealt with issues in his own family where his brother didn't follow God and and Abraham had to make his choice. And later on, when we see the story, he's going to have a wayward son that's far from God. So listen, all of us have to make our own decisions, but just because you're struggling with your child, not sure where they stand spiritually, doesn't mean that God uh, can't use you to fulfill his purpose and his plan. God's vision has not changed for your family. You may say, well, Craig, we're just super busy, man. I mean, we've just got a lot going on. We've got a lot happening in our life right now. We were game to game and event to event and so much, even in May, isn't May crazy? I mean, May is just insanely crazy with all kinds of busy things. Maybe we can get to that later. But listen, yeah, you're busy, but are you satisfied? You ever wonder at the end of the day, man, are we really living out God's plan? Is this all God has for me? God's got a bigger vision for your family than you even have. And that is that you would be used to bless the nations. And Abraham just had to kind of come to the realization 
that this was God's plan for him. So dream bigger. Here's another thing I want you to write down. Not only dream bigger, but if you're going to grab a hold of God's vision for your family, you also have to be intentional. And Abraham becomes, becomes very intentional in fulfilling this vision. I want you to look at, look at verse 4. He says, so Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So Abraham sets off. He, he adjusts his course from the, the direction he was going, and he makes an intentional decision to follow God. He makes an intentional decision to do what God wants. And by the way, this wasn't an easy thing to do. It cost him a lot. If you notice in this passage, it says that he picked up and he brought all of his possessions that they had gathered. I mean, he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of people. He had a lot, he had a lot of prosperity around him. And I'm sure if he was telling his friends, hey, you know, this God of the universe talked to me and said I need to move and go to this foreign place I don't know, they'd be like, man, Abraham, you're, you're losing it, man. You're, you're crazy. I mean, really? Really? God of the universe talked to you? And, and, but, but yet he was determined to be obedient. Right? I, I, you know, I, I talked to some friends just this week that God told them to, to leave, uh, you know, a great income and a great house and to pick up their family and move to another country and tell them the people there about Jesus and the greatest resistance was even within their own family. So listen, there's going to be resistance when you start adjusting your life to follow God's plan. And that's what happened. They started making, he made some intentional decisions to say, we're going to follow God. We're going to go after God. We're going to start saying no to some things so we can say yes to some things and really put God first place. And I want you to notice what happens. Keep reading, uh, middle of verse 5. It says, And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land of the place of Shechem to the oak of Moreh at the time the Canaanites were in the land. So what happens there, the topography is basically he's coming in from Israel from the north, and he comes and crosses that barrier line of Israel. It's very mountainous right there. It's very almost jungle-like, lots of, lots of uh, trees and lots of water very mountainous, and they come down to a big, huge valley, which would later be called the Jezreel Valley. Still today, it's like a big patchwork quilt of farmland. And at that valley, that was a place where ancient Shechem was. And he stopped there at this tree, which was a, basically a pagan shrine. And he stops there, and he realizes, he makes a statement that the Canaanites were in the land. In other words, they got to this place, and now they start seeing the people there, and they're like, Toto, we are not in Kansas anymore, all right? This is a different people, man. They're different. They have different customs and different languages, and they don't, they don't honor the God that we know, and they don't walk with the God that we know, and man, we just feel so different. We are foreigners in a foreign land. You know, I think one of the, one of the greatest dangers families can do is spend so much time trying to fit into our culture that they never stand out from the culture. So much time trying to be like everybody else that we lose our distinctiveness as a follower of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in a foreign place before. I remember going into Cuba for the first time. This is back before they released the, the uh, restrictions there. And we came into Cuba and we we're like so self-conscious about it. we can't talk to certain people. We had to, you know, really be mindful that we were being watched at all times. And there were certain things that I could and could not do because people were watching us. I realized I was in a foreign land. 
I remember being in China one time in a, in a village and I don't think they'd ever seen an Anglo person before. I'm like really Anglo. I mean, I'm as white as they come. And they were looking at me like, what is that? All right. And, and I realized I'm in a foreign land. All right. I just don't fit here. Right. I'm, this is not my people. And I think that's what Abraham was like. He's like, man, we don't fit. I mean, we're different than the people around us. And listen, as I look at our culture, even in the United States, It's becoming more and more and more a foreign land to families that want to walk with God. We are truly raising our children in a Canaanite culture, a culture that is very different from the culture that God wants us to live out as followers of Jesus. In fact, uh, John Dickerson in his book, Hope for the Nations, uh, Standing Strong in a Post-Truth, Post-Christian World, he gave all kinds of statistics about our culture today and how different it is from God's word. Let me, let me just say, I'm not going to bore you with a lot of stats, but give you a couple of thoughts here. He said, 89% of Americans believe people should not criticize someone else's life choices. In other words, it's not up to you to have any say as to whether something is right or wrong. It's only a personal decision. He said, uh, as far as millennials go, 74% of millennials believe that morality is a matter of of cultural consensus. In other words, something is not right or wrong because God says it's right or wrong. Something is right or wrong based on just what we agree to be right or wrong. That's the culture that we're living in. No truth, no boundaries, no right or wrong. That's the culture we're living in. And it's a foreign culture to those families that really want to walk with God. And you may say, well, how do I raise my kids in this dark culture like this. How do I do that? Here's the word, be intentional. Be intentional. You have to decide right now, okay, this is a family we're going to be. This is what we believe. This is how we're going to live. And we are as a family going this way. This is who we are as a family. I think one great way to be intentional is to write a family creed, uh, to write a, a draft, a family creed that just says, a creed is, is a statement of, of beliefs and behaviors that define your family. What a great thing to do on Mother's Day to think about a family creed. In fact, here's an example of um, the Decker family, and this is their family creed. I'm not going to read it to you, but you can just kind of look at it. As you read through this, you start to pick up what's important to this family, what kind of behaviors they want to embrace and maybe not embrace, uh, what, what, what beliefs do they have, what defines them as a family. Listen, it's not too late to draft a family creed that says, you know, as a family, this is who we are, and this is what we believe, and this is how we're going to live. That's an intentional way of kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know what, this is the direction we're going. You know, there are family creeds all through the Bible. Joshua had a family creed. It said this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's his family creed. That's a good one, by the way, if you're stretching for one. That's a great one. We're going to serve God. So as you do that, you're intentionally shaping the mindset of your children to say, you know what, this is who we are. Yeah, we're different. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to go there because we're different than that. We're, this is, we're, we're, we're set, set apart. We're not, we're not going to be like everybody else. Look at me, sometimes we say no to some things so we can say yes to the Lord. And your family creed will help give you an intentional plan to shape the direction of your family. So God's got this bigger vision. Dream bigger. God's got a plan for your family to to bless the nations. And the way that you get there is by by intentionally investing, intentionally shaping the direction of your family. But you say, well, how do we actually live all that out? Well, that gives me the last point, and that is build an altar. Build an altar. This is where we get the, the traction, 
the power to live this out. Build an altar. Look at verse 7. I love this. It says, um, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So just basically he comes in from the north. He comes down to Shechem. He builds an altar to the God who called him. Then he travels a little further south to the whole country between Bethel and Ai. And he builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. Then he continues all the way south to the Negev that's at the very bottom. He's just traveling Israel from north to south. He's going through the land. And he's building altars along the way. Building an altar meant that he was literally constructing a, a place of worship. And he was kneeling down. He was calling on the Lord in this dark place in this very pagan place with a culture that was not agreeable to God, he chose to bend his knee and say, God, you have called me. God, you are real. God, my devotion is to you, and I'm going to build an altar. If you want your family to live out God's vision of being a blessing to the nations and leaving an eternal impact, then you're going to have to capture that vision yourself. You're going to have to intentionally begin to speak that into your family life. But listen, you're going to have to also build altars along the way. You say, what do you mean by building altars? Well, let me give you a couple of ways you can do that as a family. One way you can do that is to come to church together, all right? When you come to church together, you worship together as a family. As our church, we, we have chosen intentionally not to do sec, separate worship where kids have their own worship, you've had their own worship, and then you know, just the adults have worship. We've chosen not to do that because we believe that there's something profound about a, a children watching their mom and dad actually worship God. And when a, when a child sees his father raise his hand in worship or bend his knee in prayer, open up the Bible and take notes, there's this profound influence that his father has by modeling that raises up something in that child that says, I want to worship God too. So that's why we do family worship together. And when you do, when you come and just sit together and talk about it and, and model worship, you're building an, a, an, an altar. You're, you're worshiping God together. Another way you can build altars is by gathering in your home and talking about spiritual things. Um, as you get together and talk about God's word, what God's saying to you, you're building an altar. I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to, uh, we, after dinner, he would open up the Bible and he'd read some things in the Bible. And he probably didn't think any of this was getting through to me because I'm, you know, I'm the knucklehead. I'm, you know, I'm throwing food, you know, and I'm wallowing on the ground and I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a kid, you know, I'm, just, I'm not really into Bible study. Uh, I know that probably surprised you, but I was like, you know, whatever. And, and I'm sure he's thinking, none of this is getting through, but you have no idea what's getting through. When you have these spiritual conversations at home, you say, that's not just something for church, it's for us, this is who we are. I have a good friend of mine that told me recently about his connect group gathering together in a home, and they would just kind of share their stories of how God's been working in their families' lives. And man, all the teenagers are listening in, and they're soaking it up, why? Because they want to see if what you believe is real Monday through Saturday. So you build homes together when you have those spiritual conversations at home. But you also build an altar when you personally spend time with God. When you get alone with the Lord and you open up your Bible and you read and you ask God what he wants to say to you personally and you get on your knees and you pray for your family, you're building an altar. 
You know, I've got a, a custom in my house where I, I have a certain spot where I have put my Bible down. And in the morning, I go to that spot and I'll light a candle and I'll sit right next to my Bible and I'll open it up and I'll read God's word and jot down what he says. And, and I'll pray for my children and I'll pray for my family. And I'll pray for God's protection in their life. I pray uh, that the enemy will not lure them away with temptations. I pray that they would be strong in their faith. They would reflect Jesus to the people around them. I pray just like you pray for your family. But I know that when I do that, I'm building an altar to God and saying, God, I give them to you. God, use them. God, glorify yourself in them. That's building an altar. And listen, when you build altars along the way, along through your family trip, all right? From the beginning, you build altars when they're little. And then when they graduate from high school, you build altars there. And then when they, when they go off, you build altars again. And listen, you're going to be building altars all through your journey of life. But as you do that, you're, you're calling on God to do this work, to fulfill his promise that he will be with them, that he will lead them, that he will use them just like he promised he would. Now, you may say, Craig, you know, the issue is our family's really going through it right now. And I know there are several uh, of our families in our church right now that are really going through it. And honestly, just about every family is going through it in some way. You know, you always think everybody's got their act together. It's only my family that's really having problems uh, wrong. Uh, everybody's got issues. Nobody's got it all together. And when you hit those hard walls, sometimes you think, is this really even working? I mean, do I, should I keep praying? You know, as I was thinking about Mother's Day, I was thinking about one mom. Her name was Myrtle. And uh, Myrtle grew up just uh, at the turn of the century. Uh, her and her sister actually married brothers from the same town. And uh, so it was a small community. Myrtle married uh, a young man, and they set off on having a family. They started their family trip together. Uh, God blessed Myrtle with five children, three sons and two daughters. And uh, Myrtle was a, a godly woman. She loved the Lord. She'd heard the gospel. She'd come to faith in Jesus. But she went through some very difficult times. So as a family, they weathered through the 30s and the Great Depression. She had two of her three sons that were drafted and uh, served and fought overseas. Uh, one son, Jack, never returned. The other son, Earl, came back. Um, but he struggled. Earl ended up getting married, had a family of his own, but um, along the way, didn't really follow his mom's godly counsel and left his family to pursue other things. And so I'm sure that there were times when Myrtle would look at her family and she'd go, man, we just have so many issues. I mean, why, why did my son act this way? And why did my other son die in, in, in the war? And why do we have to struggle the way that we do? But she was faithful. She continued to teach Sunday school and she continued to uh, be a blessing and, and, to, and to, to dream and pray about how God could use her family as broken as it was to be a blessing to the nations. She stayed with that daughter-in-law that had been abandoned and, and her children, and she would be a voice of love and encouragement and godly support to that broken family. And there was one grandchild that she made a, a mark on, and that was her oldest grandson. 
that he would look up to her and see her godly example, and it was through her influence that he came to faith in Jesus. And I'm so glad that he came to faith in Jesus because that grandson was my dad. And it was through her influence of just staying with it that dad came to faith in Christ. And really, he began to set in motion a whole different turn of events in our family that broke some dysfunction and broke some pain and broke some abuse and started a new chain of walking with God. And that directly impacted me and my sister and now it impacts our children and even their children after them. Here's what I want you to know. God's at work in all this. God's vision for your family has not changed. As, as broken as you think it is right now, as unfixable as you think it is right now, God is good. And that God works through broken people to accomplish his purpose. And God wants you just not to give up on that vision, but to embrace the promise that God has to use your family to bless the nations, to use your family to do something great. And that you be intentional along the way to bless them and to train them up and to cast that vision. And you just build altars on the weekend and during the week and in your personal time. You just build altars and say, God, only unless you do it will it ever get done. And then you stand back and watch. And God will do bigger things than you could possibly imagine.